open our Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to continue in our study of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2 tonight. And we'll read verses 1 through verse 20. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is a Moabitish damsel. They came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued, even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? When thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Boaz answered and said to her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother in the law since the death of thine husband. And now thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said to her, At the mealtime come thou thither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. When she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it, went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. 
And Naomi said to her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. I want to speak on the subject of grace tonight. You see it in the entire chapter. If you remember in chapter 1, that Elimelech, in the midst of a famine, took his family, and they went down to Moab, supposing to sojourn. But ten years later, we see Elimelech has died. His two sons have married Moabitish women. They also die. And uh, Ruth and Elmi, they hear that God's visited his people back in Bethlehem, Judah, and they decide to return. And here's what happened. God's already put everything in place. And what we see in the book of Ruth is the providence of God. His hand putting everything in order, arranging their lives, despite the fact that they'd made bad decisions, despite the fact that they were paying consequences, God was still going to help them get up, move forward, and put the pieces back together. Although I believe at this point, neither one of them had any idea of God's eternal plan, His sovereign plan in their lives. Isn't it fun to look back and see what God's done in our lives? Now, we don't have as much enjoyment. We don't find as much pleasure looking forward. Usually we do that with fear and trepidation. Uh, but looking back, we can see the way God's put so many things into place and helped us in a million different ways. But we see in verse 1 that she had a kinsman. It starts off by saying there was a kinsman, a mighty man of wealth. And Ruth goes to her mother-in-law and says, we need to survive. We need to be able to eat. Let me go and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight. Now look at the next phrase that she says. I shall find grace. With confidence she leaves. Now here's what we see in our lives from the first moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior. We know that salvation is by grace. How many of you are sure of that? The role that grace played in your salvation, you know it's all grace. And here's what this book is full of, symbolism. Now, when you think of Boaz, think of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're going to see in the later chapters of this book that he was the kinsman redeemer. So you can think of him in those terms as redeemer. Ruth is the undeserving one. She's the Moabitess. She's the stranger. But she's confident she'll find grace. Now, here's what I like about chapter 2. Long before they ever stepped foot back in Bethlehem, Judah, God had already prepared a redeemer. God had already prepared a plan. God had already prepared a field. God had already prepared a way for them to be delivered. And that's the way grace is. Luke, uh, excuse me, Leviticus 19 verse 9 says this. And she goes back to glean in this field. God had already said, already established during the time of the law what we would call the law of the gleaner and verse 9 and 10 says and when you reap the harvest of your land thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard thou shalt leave them for the poor and for the stranger I am the Lord your God then in chapter 23, verse 22, this law was given. When ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. 
Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now here's what God did. In order to help the less fortunate, in order to help the poor and keep them from suffering hunger, he told those that own fields, listen, when you go to harvest, leave the corners. And he told them to leave it for four groups. The poor, the stranger, the widow, and the fatherless. Now, Ruth and Naomi, especially Ruth, she qualified in all four of these categories. She was poor. She was a stranger. She was a Moabitish. She was a widow. Her husband had died. And uh, for all practical purposes, being in a strange land, she was now fatherless. And God was already putting the pieces into place. And I love a phrase that we find in verse 3 that says, She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, you've got to understand, to put it in modern-day terminology, this would be like trying to survive by recycling pop cans. It, there just wasn't much. All it was was an existence. Barley was the food of the poor, so she's out in a barley field just trying whatever's left behind, whatever's left in the corners. She's trying to gather with other people that are as desperate as she is. But look what the Bible says. As she gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap. I like that. I love the King James Bible. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. It just so happened that she stumbled across the field of Boaz. Don't you like coincidences? Can't you see God gently putting his hand on her shoulder and guiding her to the right field? Now, you've got to understand, she'd never been to Bethlehem, Judah. It wasn't even that Naomi had sent her to a certain field. It was that God had directed her steps, guided her next move, and put her right there in the field of Boaz. Have you ever thought about your salvation? Have you ever thought about what God did for you? It wasn't like you chose the right spot at the right time. God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you born in this house. I'm going to send you by this church. I'm going to send someone to your door. I'm going to have a relative write you a letter. I'm going to have... And God put so many things in your path and the scripture constantly uh, on your mind in the right person at the right time. God ordered all of that and gave you the opportunity to get born again. That's called grace. The grace of God and his patience with us. And in the midst of all of this, imagine. Imagine the bad decisions that had been made. And she comes back. Remember what she says. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. I don't want you calling me anymore Naomi, which means pleasant. So she comes back bitter. And despite that, now what is grace? Undeserved love. Not that she deserved it, but God said, I'm still going to help you out. Now, we're, t we're talking about a woman from Moab who within, probably by the end of her life, when David is, is born and anointed as king, she might have stepped foot in a palace. This girl who's so poor, this is equivalent of living on a street corner. She's down there practically begging. Now, here's what I do like about Ruth. And let me just pause here. There's a little parentheses in the message. We're talking about grace. 
She was not standing around looking for a handout. We have a messed up society. Instead of asking people to work on some level and earn their keep, she wasn't standing at the corner. And here's that every single word and phrase in Scripture is extremely important. But verse 7, when Boaz is getting a report of who this damsel is, look what the servant said while describing her. She came, and what's the next phrase say? She hath continued. You know how many young people today don't want to lift a finger? And if you get them to lift a finger, they certainly don't want to continue. You know, if you read the news of today, there are presently 10.9 million people on our disability rolls in the United States of America. 10.9 million? Have you read the latest statistics concerning food stamps? It's a day and age that doesn't like to get their hands dirty. An eight-hour day is considered a hard day of work. Listen, if you go back the previous five or 6,000 years of existence, you'll find out that most people worked with their hands by the sweat of their brow, oftentimes 12 hours a day. But this is a generation that doesn't want to work. And here's what you see. Ruth wasn't sitting around asking for grace. She went out to the field, and in the field, she found grace. Here's what you see. Grace was found in a person, in Boaz. Grace isn't something mystical. Grace is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And outside of that, no one will find grace. This grace revolutionizes her life. You see Boaz taking the first step. That's what grace does. Verse 9, he speaks to her. Now think about this for a minute. This is the owner of the field. This is the big cheese. This is the one that normally doesn't step out. When he does, he's speaking to the one in charge, the one he's left in charge. But he notices a stranger and he says, who is that young lady? And he says, that's the one that came back with Naomi and she's been here working and he said I want you to show kindness to her and then he goes out of his way to speak to her imagine that how many of you have ever taken the time and the effort to go see someone that was famous that was coming through town Maybe is it a sporting event or a political event or you went somewhere hoping to shake someone's hand but you knew in the back of your mind you were not going to get a personal conversation. And here's what Boaz did. He went out of his way to speak to one of the gleaners. And he said this, look what he says in verse 9, this is grace. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Go thou after them. Have I not charged young men that they shall not touch thee? He said, really, this isn't a very safe circumstance, but I want you to glean with my handmaidens. I want to make sure that none of the young men give you a hard time. And when thou art a thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face. She realized the extreme grace that was being shown upon her 
She said, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a stranger? Now, I, we're not going to take the time tonight because we'll do this in later chapters. We'll show you the symbolism. Uh, but in verse 11, look what it says about Boaz. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has fully been showed me. Don't you like the fact that God knows everything about us? And he still loves us. And Boaz says, here's a Moabite. Here's a girl without a, a husband. Here's someone less fortunate than myself. Knowing all that, I'm still going to show kindness. I hope you're still amazed by grace. You know, when you, you think about the fact there's 7 billion people on this planet, how is it? How is it that I was born in the home of Independent Baptist Christian? How is it that before I could read, I had a Bible placed in my hand? How is it when there are literally billions of people that haven't even been told one time, have never heard the name of Jesus? How is it before I responded, before I got born again, I had heard his name literally thousands and thousands and thousands of times? Before I ever responded, I had sat through hundreds of invitations. Before I ever prayed the sinner's prayer, I had already prayed hundreds of prayers in Jesus' name. Before I ever confessed my sin, I knew I was a sinner. How is it that God showed grace to me? Now, how many here could raise their hand and said, Now, Pastor, you don't understand. I was deserving of that grace. You know, signing up these children for vacation Bible school and knocking doors in areas of people that are a lot less fortunate than we are. And you see kids that have already suffered, their parents going through a divorce. Many haven't even seen, some don't even know their real mom or real dad. You see them in homes where parents come home every night drunk. How is it that I escaped all of that and experience the grace of God at such a young age? How is it that after dozens of times, how many of you, before you trusted Christ your Savior, literally rejected the gospel day after day, month after month, having heard the gospel, you refused to respond? Aren't you glad for the grace of God? That He came looking for you, He spoke to you? You glad you heard his voice? Now, it's not just that, but think about for a minute. Here's, here's a young lady. When she leaves the house that morning, imagine all the questions running through her mind. She goes out to the field. She doesn't know where she's going to reap. She doesn't know how she's going to be received. She understands that this is the law of the Israelites, but she's not an Israelite. And although she finds herself in the category of the stranger, who knows how they're going to receive her. Listen, this was during the time of the judges when every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. They weren't keeping any Bible law. Do you think they're going to show kindness to this Moabitish woman going out and trying to glean in their fields? And in one day, okay, they have no food. They have no money. They have no friends. They have no influence. They have nothing. They just came back with absolutely nothing. Having buried their husbands, buried their hopes. And in one day, you know what solved? 
Just about everything. I mean, you've got to understand, at first, he says, listen, when you get thirsty, I have water for you. And, and here's what they did. They would set up a tent out there in the, the fields that they were harvesting, and that way the workers, not the gleaners, but the workers, around lunchtime, they could go and gather. Uh, sometimes they'd prepare a warm meal, and they would eat together in the shade, and then they'd go back to work. Now, he actually uh, sends word, invites her to sit down and eat at their table their food, that just didn't happen. Look what it says in verse 14. Boaz said to her, At mealtime come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip of the morsel in the vinegar. He said, you, you don't have to eat that raw barley. You don't have to live like that. You can actually come to our tent. You can dip thy morsel into the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers. He sat so close that it says he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed. Now listen, here's a man that had been waited on. Now he's waiting on a stranger. Have you ever sat down and thought about the grace of God? You know, you know why Christians can, can be unsatisfied in their Christianity because they've never sat down and meditated on the grace of God in their life. Just the very fact you're not going to hell. Just the very fact he pays attention to you. Just the very fact that he'll listen to your prayers. Just the fact that he got you the gospel, forgave you your sin, has given you a million chances. But to think, here is Boaz, who is the Redeemer. Remember, Boaz is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, Think about this for a minute. He sits at the table with the reapers and not only extends her the invitation to sit with him, he personally is waiting on her. That's grace. And he said, I want you to feel welcome anytime to, to reap and to harvest in this field. And then when she leaves, he wants to make sure she is fully satisfied. Here's what we don't understand. Did you know it's not just salvation that's based on the grace of God. Do you know even the blessings of God are based upon grace? Now, I know, I know, hold on for a second. I'm not off on my doctrine. Some of you looking at me strange saying, oh no, pastor, the blessings of God are conditional. Those are conditional promises and I've earned my blessings. Yeah, I just am not for sure that... In all of that, God looked at your effort and said, you know what, despite the lousy effort that he made, I'm still going to show grace. Bless him. Aren't you glad that God blesses your home and blesses your children and blesses your marriage? I look at my three kids and say, well, you know what, if it weren't for God's blessing, you know what I deserve? What kind of father I am? What kind of husband I am? What kind of pastor I am? God has, has far-seated in the expectations, but if it weren't for the grace of God, I can't imagine where my kids would be, where my ministry would be, where my marriage would be. I'm just fearful as Christians. We don't sit down and meditate sufficiently on the grace of God. We've, we've actually been convinced by the devil to sit around and nitpick. And instead of pointing the, the finger of blame at ourselves, we always manage to point it northward 
towards the heavens and say, God, you know, I don't like the way this turned out. I don't like the way that turned out. I wish you would have done this, and I wish this wouldn't have happened. And God said, wait a minute. You were the one that ended up going to Moab. You were the one that lived distance from me for 10 years. You were the one that left the house of bread, the place of praise. You were the one that turned your back. And listen, I still have a plan, a perfect plan for you. You know what normally we do? Okay, let's see. Let's see if you're making forward progress. Let's see if you're truly repentant. Let's see if this is going the right direction. And then I'll start to extend my grace and I'll start to put some things in order and I'll start to show some favor. God was showing favor on both of these ladies before they ever turned around. Before they ever said, you know, we've heard that God has visited his people back in Bethlehem, Judah. Before they actually did this motion, God was already setting things in place that would help and benefit them. And the minute they showed up, God was watching. And here's what I like about Boaz, okay? Uh, the representation of the Redeemer. Boaz is everywhere. You find him everywhere. He just shows up. Always doing the right thing. Not for himself. Always doing the right thing for Ruth. It's called grace. Boy, if it weren't for grace and the grace of God in our lives... How many of you have ever looked at your friends and your family, those you went to high school with, those you went to college with, uh, those that you uh, were raised with, and you see now the direction they've gone in, in trying to live without the blessings of God, or they, they've never even been born again. They don't know what the grace of God is. And you're looking at the disasters that have been created and caused in their life, and you're saying, what a mess it is to live without the grace of God. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine living a life 50 or 60 or 70 years without the grace of God. can't imagine a home without the grace of God. Can you imagine a marriage? You have enough marital problems as it is. Can you imagine living a married life without the grace of God? But there are a lot of questions answered that day. And Boaz shows a lot of mercy. And she is humbled by that mercy. And says, why have I found grace in thine eyes? And we ought to be humbled by that grace. We ought to be humbled every day and say, how is it that I can be in this church house? How is it that I can experience salvation? How is it that I can be surrounded by good Christians? How is it that I can be in a place where I hear your Holy Spirit and have your Holy Scripture? How is it that I can feel your presence and walk in your steps and know what it is to avoid the tragedy of sin and its consequences? That ought to overwhelm us and make us thankful. She was humble. Here's what he did. He promised to protect her, to meet her need. He brings her in, promises to satisfy her. Verse 11, he encourages her, and Boaz answered and said to her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother 
in the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time she had heard an encouraging word? When was the last time she had had a good meal? When's the last time she had sat down with someone with money who had everything going for him in life and said, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. I can't imagine how the table had been turned just in the past four or five hours of her life. Remember, she woke up that morning. She, when she went to that field and she saw those men working, can you imagine this little girl just trying to stay invisible? She wanders out to that field and she, she follows behind. She, she doesn't want to be rebuked. She doesn't want to get too close, but she wants to get close enough where she can actually pick something up before everyone else does. She knows she's not going to eat the next day unless she gathers something from this field. She doesn't know she's going to be chased off. And within a few hours, she's sitting down with the owner and she knows this guy really cares about me. And he's saying, I'm welcome at his tent, and he's serving me his food, and he's talking to me. He's encouraging me. Look what he says. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Can you imagine what is going through her mind as he says this? Well, at this point, I really don't want a full recompense. A reward for what I've done. Let's just hope God shows grace like you have shown grace. But look at his statement he makes. He understands here's a young lady under whose wings thou art come to trust. You know what she had done back when she made a decision to follow Naomi? She had made a decision to simply trust Naomi's God. And now she's reaping the benefit. And he tells the servant, sis, look what it says in verse 15 through 17. He's going to make sure she is fully satisfied. When she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Did you know that was not permitted? That wasn't part of the law? He was saying, let her go ahead and harvest instead of gleaning. If she gets too close, if she begins to gather the grain, just let her be. Verse 15, reproach her not. Let fall also. He said, not only do you let her harvest, he said, let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? God, how many of you ever messed up and you muffed it, you missed it, you, you know, it's like watching football and it's the end of the game and the kicker who hasn't been doing anything all game, you know, team can't figure out why they pay him money and it's a 30 yard field goal and he should be able to make and he gets up, not only does he miss it, it doesn't get 20 feet in the air and it goes 30 feet to the left and you know what he wants to do, he wants to dig a hole right there like a gerbil and just hide under the sod. How many of you ever done that in life? I mean, you just messed up, so you just muffed it. Not only did you mess up, everyone noticed you messed up. And despite that, God showed mercy and said, you know what, I want you to just go ahead and give him handful on purpose. Now, I want you to imagine this for a minute. 
Because when she goes home, here's what the Bible says, verse 17. She gleaned in the field until even and beat out that, that she had gleaned. It was about an ephah. That's after she beat it out. An ephah of barley. That's 30 to 50 pounds of barley gleaning. Now imagine this girl. She comes fearful. She doesn't know how her day is going to happen. She doesn't know if she's even going to be received, if she's going to be allowed to glean in this field. And the next thing you know, she's being invited into the harvester's tent. She's sitting down with the owner. He is serving her with his own hands, her corn, her meal, her food. And then he's telling his servants, hey, I want you to show additional kindness to this young lady. So here she is. She thinks if I can just get my hand on enough grain to make, how many of you have ever eaten barley cakes or barley bread? That's what I thought. Not very appetizing. Barley is barely edible. Watch this. She's out there. She's just trying to pick up stuff on the ground. And the next thing you know, it's, it's like, wow, goodness. There's, it's like, man, this, this, can you imagine this poor girl after she beats it out, she has 30 to 50 pounds. Have you ever carried a 50-pound bucket of grain? Can you imagine she goes home that night? She goes home like a harvester. And she walks in the door. Surely she had some kind of sack. Surely she had something to help carry this back to the house. And as she walks in, Ruth has been waiting for her. Ruth, they don't have anything to eat. They don't have any money. They don't have any future. Remember, she has said, from here on out, uh, Ruth, I want you to call me Mara. Just call me better. When you see me, that's what I feel. That's who I am now. You see these wrinkled lines. You see these gray hairs. You see these, uh, these eyes that are sunken in. You see the misery in my soul. That's the life that I've lived and the consequences that I've suffered. Just call me bitter for short. And Ruth walks in the door with 50 pounds of barley. And Naomi said, what? What in the world? That was a phrase they used back then. <laughs> Where did you go today? How in the world did you get all of that grain? Can you imagine the shock on her face? Now remember, gleaners were like those, the recycled pop cans. This would be like your son going out when you told him to recycle pop cans and coming back with two trucks pulled up in the driveway and saying, Mom, I had a pretty good day today. Here's what Naomi asks. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where rottest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge. Now remember, this lady lost all her spirituality. Remember, this is the same one. Oh, go back with me in chapter 1. Do you remember how she was speaking in verse 20? She said, The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord hath brought me home again empty. The Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. This is a woman that wasn't feeling very spiritual. There were no blessings pouring out of her mouth. But suddenly with this 50 
pound bucket of grain, she said, Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today. And then there was a pause. And her eyes sparkled. And she remembered him passing her the corn. And her heart skipped a beat. And she said, his name is Boaz. And Naomi said, you got to be kidding me. He's a next of kin. Now, we'll explain the kinsman redeemer in the next few chapters. When we study those chapters, you'll see the importance of that. But I would like to know of the conversation that ensued that is not written in the scripture. Can you imagine two ladies at the table? And they both know today was a good day and it had nothing to do with barley. Because when she said Boaz, Naomi looked across the table and said, Ruth, you're going back to that field. And Ruth said, I certainly am. And I'm eating some more cornbread too. And they talked until 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And this lady who'd been so bitter and upset and frustrated, who thought in her heart that God had abandoned her, uh, suddenly said, you know what? Maybe God still does have things under control. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, bless it. Now her tone has changed. Did you realize the same woman who had been attacking the Almighty? Do you see from her previous conversation till now how drastically things have turned? Blessed be he. There was now a sparkle in those sunken eyes. A clarity in her tone. Her heart was skipping a beat. Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. He said, God, she said, God is so kind. He's even being kind to Limelech despite his bad decisions. Do you know that's the way God and his grace is? And Naomi said to her, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen, and that's for the next study let me say one more thing about the grace of God. Having experienced the grace of God in salvation, having experienced the grace of God in, in our, our lives, and listen, she goes out the field when she's hungry. He's going to give her food. When she's thirsty, he's going to provide for her water. He's going to make sure, listen, I don't think he was just leaving barley behind. She was probably the next day finding wheat in a barley field. Now, when we've experienced the grace of God, you know what? That we ought to be a channel for that grace. Now, here's what I want you to think about tonight. She did not experience God's grace through an extraordinary channel. You know what we want? We really think that everything God does has to be a miracle. You know how she experienced God's grace? She woke up, she put on her boots, she went to a field, 
where she was not known to a place she'd never been and said, I'm going to go to work and allow God to go to work. We don't like God using ordinary channels. We want him to do the supernatural so we can respond with a shout and a, a jump and a, and a jig and say, wow, look at God, look at the power of God. And here's what God said, I'm going to make this happen, but you're going to have to wake up, you're going to have to go to the field, you're going to have to take the risk, you're going to have to glean with the rest of the gleaners, you're going to have to humble yourself and get to work, and I'll get to work. You do what you're supposed to do, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do, but we don't like the fact that God normally uses ordinary channels to do the extraordinary. Now, if you've experienced God's grace, you ought to be a channel of God's grace, and look who God was using. Boaz, in a time when very few people were showing grace and kindness, that's why they were caught off guard. Here was a man who didn't have to show them any special attention. Now, let me say, there are a lot of people out there that need to experience grace. This is what I love about VBS. We have an opportunity to channel God's grace to people who have never in their lifetime experienced God's grace. And they probably will never, ever have another opportunity. This is one week. This is five days, maybe seven days out of their life where these kids will actually come into an environment where they're loved and they're excited and people are rooting for them and people are encouraging them and people are cheering them on and people are helping them and expressing love and affection and goodness and kindness. They haven't experienced that. Not in their home, not at their school, not even with their friends. In no environment have they ever experienced that. God's going to use the ordinary. You see anybody around here that's extraordinary? God wants to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary, and he does that when we are willing to channel his grace, that same grace that we have received, that same grace that he's bestowed, that same grace that revolutionized our lives. We say, I want to be a channel so that others can experience that same grace. You know why God's put you at that job, that place of work? So you can channel his grace grace to people that don't even know. How many of you went to work and you realize those people around you know nothing about God's grace and you expect them to reveal something, say something, do something that would be gracious or kind. They've never experienced God's grace or loving kindness. God doesn't expect them to be those channels. God expects you to be that channel. That's what sowing is. That's what ministry is. It's, it's unbelievable how many people jump into ministry and expect those under them to shower them with grace. No. God put you in that position, whether that's on a bus route or a prison ministry. Wherever God put you, he put you there to channel grace, not to have others channel grace to you. They don't know about grace. Here's what God did with Boaz. Simple, average, ordinary man. Type of Christ. You know why it's a type of Christ? What was Christ? John 1, 14. Full of grace and truth. 33 years he channeled grace. It wasn't just grace that led him to the cross. It wasn't just grace that we see uh, in Calvary. It wasn't just grace that... that spilled out that blood 
No, it was everything he did was full of grace. Every life he touched was touched by grace. And here's what God says. That same grace I showed to you, now I want you to channel to others. Why was Ruth's life changed? And here's what you're going to see in this whole book. Do you see God channeling grace through the life of Boaz. And you can see, here's, when I read this book, I, I have a wild imagination, but I can just see Ruth as she begins to beam. Have you ever seen someone beaming while gleaming? She is literally beaming as she wakes up and runs down. She doesn't run, she floats. <laughs> She's imagining another meal under that tent and hearing that voice that says, would you like some more cornbread? She can still remember the way he said it. It was an unbelievable moment. It was magic. And when I touched that cornbread, the same time he passed it to me, it was like lightning. It was lightning. You know what it was? It wasn't lightning, Ruth. It was grace. Isn't it amazing? You know what this world wants to experience? One day of grace. And what's so ironic, the very people who are supposed to channel God's grace are living expecting the rest of the world without Christ to channel grace. And our frustrations abound. Because we live and breathe hoping someone else will channel grace when God says, no, I want you to channel grace so they can see me. Boaz channeling that grace changed this girl's life forever. You know what God wants? God wants us to channel that grace and change someone else's life. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.